The Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands. Totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. And here we are. Thank you, as always, for joining us for the Bible Live broadcast. We are moving through the books of First and Second Samuel. Of course, now we've already moved into Second Samuel. We'll pick up there in the second chapter, verse 30, with the spotlight clearly and exclusively now on David. This young man, we used to call him a young man. Now he's about 37 to 40 years of age. He is just crowned king of his own tribe, the tribe of Judah. They have elected to go ahead and recognize him as king. Something like seven years later, all of the tribes will join together and recognize him. The politicking has already begun. Abner was the general of Saul's forces, and now that Saul has died, killed in battle with the Philistines at Gilboa, Abner begins to negotiate his position with David in the south. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of family feuding going on here. Leaders came from uh, clan backgrounds or their different tribes, cousins, nephews, brothers and sisters. They figure a lot into these relationships. Abner is going to try to do some negotiating, but he's against somebody who is ruthless. That is Joab, David's right-hand man in terms of military. He's his general. Joab is one mean son of a gun. Cruel. Don't know what to think about Joab sometimes. Anyway, we'll get to that. Highly political, very important era as they move toward greatness. David becomes the king. He is going to lead Israel to its golden age during the time of his reign and the reign of his son Solomon. We'll come back to it in just a moment. This week we're going to read Psalms 61 through 65. Psalm 61, it's a psalm of David, written when he was forced to escape during the days of Absalom's rebellion, or after he had narrowly escaped one of Saul's efforts to kill him while hiding in the wilderness. Psalm 61. Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth I will cry to you for help. 
for my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the towering rock of safety, for you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me an inheritance reserved for those who fear your name. Add many years to the life of the king. May his years span the generations. May he reign under God's protection forever. Appoint your unfailing love and faithfulness to watch over him. Then I will always sing praises to your name as I fulfill my vows day after day. End of reading Psalm 61. Listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. It is amazing. You know, folks, I was reminding the recruits at Lackland Air Force Base this Sunday, we must never lose our amazement at the fact that the God of the universe, the creator of everything that exists everywhere, that he actually cares about us. Sometimes we get a little familiar with that idea. We must reserve a little bit of awe, a little bit of mystery, a little bit of the amazing element of the gospel. When I have a crisis of faith anymore, it has nothing to do with believing whether it's really true. The evidence is there. The scriptures, the historical evidence, the prophecies, the life of Jesus himself, his death, his resurrection, it's all there. It is clear and it is worth our faith and our confidence. What I sometimes wonder about is this is too beautiful, it's too powerful, it's too awesome, it's too wonderful to be true. That's my crisis of faith. But I am trusting the God of the Bible. Well, let's turn now to Second Samuel chapter 2. As I mentioned to you, many of these men and women are family members of David or of Saul. And it can be confusing to keep track of all the characters introduced in the first few chapters. Let me try to help a little bit. Now, Joab is the son of Zeruiah, who is David's half-sister. He becomes one of David's military leaders and later becomes the commander-in-chief. Abner is Saul's cousin, and he was Saul's commander-in-chief. Abishai is Joab's brother. Asahel, who was killed by Abner, is Joab and Abishai's brother. And then Ishbosheth is Saul's son, whom Saul and Abner select as king. So there's going to be this competition for a while, for seven years, in fact, before David is declared king of all of Israel. We pick up now in the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 2.30 through 6.23, 2 Samuel 2. Meanwhile, Joab and his men also returned home. When Joab counted his casualties, he discovered that only 19 men were missing, in addition to Asahel. But 360 of Abner's men, all from the tribe of Benjamin, had been killed. Joab and his men took Asahel's body to Bethlehem and buried him there beside his father. Then they traveled all night and reached Hebron at daybreak. 2 Samuel 3 That was the beginning of a long war between those who had been loyal to Saul and those who were loyal to David. 
As time passed, David became stronger and stronger while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. These were the sons who were born to David in Hebron. The oldest was Amnon, whose mother was Ahinoam of Jezreel. The second was Keliab, whose mother was Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel. The third was Absalom, whose mother was Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth was Adonijah, whose mother was Hagith. The fifth was Shephatiah, whose mother was Abital. The sixth was Ethriam, whose mother was David's wife Eglah. These sons were all born to David in Hebron. As the war went on, Abner became a powerful leader among those who were loyal to Saul's dynasty. One day, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, accused Abner of sleeping with one of his father's concubines, a woman named Rispa. Abner became furious. Am I a Judean dog to be kicked around like this? He shouted. After all I have done for you and your father by not betraying you to David, is this my reward, that you find fault with me about this woman? May God deal harshly with me if I don't help David get all that the Lord has promised him. I should just go ahead and give David the rest of Saul's kingdom. I should set him up as king over Israel as well as Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. Ishbosheth didn't dare say another word because he was afraid of what Abner might do. Then Abner sent messengers to David, saying, Let's make an agreement, and I will help turn the entire nation of Israel over to you. All right, David replied, but I will not negotiate with you unless you bring back my wife Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come. David then sent this message to Ishbosheth, Saul's son. Give me back my wife Michael, for I bought her with the lives of one hundred Philistines. So Ishbosheth took Michael away from her husband Palti, son of Laish. Palti followed along behind her as far as Bahurim, weeping as he went. Then Abner told him, Go back home. So Palti returned. Meanwhile, Abner had consulted with the leaders of Israel. For some time now, he told them, You have wanted to make David your king. Now is the time. For the Lord has said, I have chosen David to save my people from the Philistines and from all their other enemies. Abner also spoke with the leaders of the tribe of Benjamin. Then he went to Hebron to tell David that all the people of Israel and Benjamin supported him. When Abner came to Hebron with his twenty men, David entertained them with a great feast. Then Abner said to David, Let me go and call all the people of Israel to your side. They will make a covenant with you to make you their king. Then you will be able to rule over everything your heart desires. So David sent Abner safely on his way. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. But just after Abner left, Joab and some of David's troops returned from a raid, bringing much plunder with them. When Joab was told that Abner had just been there visiting the king and had been sent away in safety, he rushed to see the king. What have you done, he demanded. What do you mean by letting Abner get away? You know perfectly well that he came to spy on you and to discover everything you are doing. Joab then left David and sent messengers to catch up with Abner. They found him at the pool of Sirah and brought him back with them. But David knew nothing about it. When Abner arrived at Hebron, Joab took him aside at the gateway as if to speak with him privately. But then he drew his dagger and killed Abner in revenge for killing his brother Asahel. When David heard about it, he declared, I vow by the Lord that I and my people are innocent of this crime against Abner. Joab and his family are the guilty ones. May his family in every generation be cursed with a man who has open sores or leprosy, or who walks on crutches, or who dies by the sword, or who begs for food. 
So Joab and his brother Abishai killed Abner because Abner had killed their brother Asahel at the battle of Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and all those who were with him, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth. Go into deep mourning for Abner. And King David himself walked behind the procession to the grave. They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king and all the people wept at his graveside. Then the king sang this funeral song for Abner. Should Abner have died as fools die? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not chained. No, you were murdered, the victim of a wicked plot. All the people wept again for Abner. David had refused to eat anything the day of the funeral, and now everyone begged him to eat. But David had made a vow, saying, May God kill me if I eat anything before sundown. This pleased the people very much. In fact, everything the king did pleased them. So everyone in Judah and Israel knew that David was not responsible for Abner's death. Then King David said to the people, Do you not realize that a great leader and a great man has fallen today in Israel? And even though I am the anointed king, these two sons of Zeruiah, Joab and Abishai, are too strong for me to control. So may the Lord repay these wicked men for their wicked deeds. 2 Samuel 4 When Ishbosheth heard about Abner's death at Hebron, he lost all courage, and his people were paralyzed with fear. Now there were two brothers, Baana and Rechab, who were captains of Ishbosheth's raiding parties. They were sons of Ramon, a member of the tribe of Benjamin who lived in Beeroth. The town of Beeroth is now part of Benjamin's territory because the original people of Beeroth fled to Gitaim, where they still live as foreigners. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when Saul and Jonathan were killed at the Battle of Jezreel. When news of the battle reached the capital, the child's nurse grabbed him and fled, but she fell and dropped him as she was running, and he became crippled as a result. One day, Rechab and Baanah, the sons of Ramon from Beeroth, went to Ishbosheth's home around noon as he was taking a nap. The doorkeeper, who had been sifting wheat, became drowsy and fell asleep. So Rechab and Baanah slipped past the doorkeeper, went into Ishbosheth's bedroom, and stabbed him in the stomach. Then they escaped. But before leaving, they cut off his head as he lay there on his bed. Taking his head with them, they fled across the Jordan Valley through the night. They arrived at Hebron and presented Ishbosheth's head to David. Look, they exclaimed, here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of your enemy Saul, who tried to kill you. Today the Lord has given you revenge on Saul and his entire family. But David said to Rechab and Baanah, As surely as the Lord lives, the one who saves me from my enemies, I will tell you the truth. Once before, someone told me Saul is dead, thinking he was bringing me good news. But I seized him and killed him at Ziklag. That's the reward I gave him for his news. Now what reward should I give the wicked men who have killed an innocent man in his own house and on his own bed? Should I not also demand your very lives? So David ordered his young men to kill them, and they did. They cut off their hands and feet and hung their bodies beside the pool in Hebron. Then they took Ishbosheth's head and buried it in Abner's tomb in Hebron. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 2 Samuel 5 Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, We are all members of your family. For a long time, even while Saul was our king, you were the one who really led Israel. And the Lord has told you, you will be the shepherd of my people Israel. 
you will be their leader. So there at Hebron, David made a covenant with the leaders of Israel before the Lord, and they anointed him king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in all. He had reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months, and from Jerusalem he reigned over Israel and Judah for 33 years. David then led his troops to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites. You'll never get in here, the Jebusites taunted. Even the blind and lame could keep you out, for the Jebusites thought they were safe. But David captured the fortress of Zion, now called the city of David. When the insulting message from the defenders of the city reached David, he told his own troops, Go up through the water tunnel into the city and destroy those lame and blind Jebusites. How I hate them! That is the origin of the saying, The blind and the lame may not enter the house. So David made the fortress his home, and he called it the city of David. He built additional fortifications around the city, starting at the Milo and working inward. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Then King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David, along with carpenters and stonemasons, to build him a palace. Hiram also sent many cedar logs for lumber. And David realized that the Lord had made him king over Israel and had made his kingdom great for the sake of his people, Israel. After moving from Hebron to Jerusalem, David married more wives and concubines, and he had many sons and daughters. These are the names of David's sons who were born in Jerusalem. Shimeah, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. But David was told they were coming and went into the stronghold. The Philistines arrived and spread out across the valley of Rephaim. So David asked the Lord, Should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied, Yes, go ahead. I will certainly give you the victory. So David went to Baal-perazim and defeated the Philistines there. The Lord has done it, David exclaimed. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So David named that place Baal-perazim, which means the Lord who burst through. The Philistines had abandoned their idols there, so David and his troops confiscated them. But after a while, the Philistines returned and again spread out across the valley of Rephaim. And once again, David asked the Lord what to do. Do not attack them straight on, the Lord replied. Instead, circle around behind them and attack them near the balsam trees. When you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the balsam trees, attack! That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistines. So David did what the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Samuel 6 Then David mobilized 30,000 special troops. He led them to Baalah of Judah to bring home the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the hillside home of Abinadab. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart with the Ark of God on it, with Ahio walking in front. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all their might, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nakon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah put out his hand to steady the Ark of God. 
Then the Lord's anger blazed out against Uzzah for doing this, and God struck him dead beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had blazed out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means outbreak against Uzzah. It is still called that today. David was now afraid of the Lord and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. He took it instead to the home of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there with the family of Obed-Edom for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's home and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying it had gone six steps, they stopped and waited so David could sacrifice an ox and a fatted calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly tunic. So David and all Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with much shouting and blowing of trumpets. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. The ark of the Lord was placed inside the special tent that David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he had finished, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a gift of food to every man and woman in Israel, a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then everyone went home. When David returned home to bless his family, Michael came out to meet him and said in disgust, how glorious the king of Israel looked today. He exposed himself to the servant girls like any indecent person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I am willing to act like a fool in order to show my joy in the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this. But I will be held in honor by the girls of whom you have spoken. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her life. End of reading, 2 Samuel 2.30 through 6.23. This is the Bible Live. Now, as I mentioned, you can see there's a great deal of animosity, jealousies, resentments, pride, ambition, so much in these passages. But Joab, he is one mean man. Was he a believer? Was he someone who truly loved God? There are certain passages, and he seems to act and talk as one who believes in God. And, of course, this is one of the real problems when God becomes so familiar the people of Israel now, for so many centuries, had the commandments, they had the prophets and the priests, and they've had the hierarchy, the institution of the priesthood, and so on. God becomes familiar. They begin to be more familiar with the religious system. They all use God words and, and salvation words and kingdom words, but you don't know if they really have the reality of a genuine commitment to the true and living God, a genuine commitment to the purposes of God in their own individual lives and in their nation, in the people of Israel. 
it's a very interesting thing to study because the same thing is happening in our country, in America. We have had the gospel now all the years of our existence, powerfully present in the formation of the original 13 states, present in our founding documents and the founding fathers of the country. The Bible and the principles of God's Word were very much present in the establishment of all of our different institutions. There was a time that was dynamic, it was real, it was powerful. There was the Great American Awakening, there were some tremendous revivals through our land that kept it fresh and new as the land was being colonized. We had world wars that kept us on our toes and kept us fresh, but coming out of World War II, we have really had sort of an apathetic, rebellious, and rejecting attitude toward God and toward the Scriptures and toward the, even the Gospel. I'm talking about as a nation now. That prevailing sentiment, that prevailing content of our culture, generally speaking, heavily weighted to rejecting God, to rejecting God's laws, to rejecting the truth of the Bible. People are resented for even mentioning things of holiness and purity. For example, one of the presidential candidates talked about how he would like to clean up the Internet and try to do as much as he can to restrict pornography. And he's really being castigated for it and criticized and laughed at and ridiculed and made to appear like a zealot of some kind and some radical conservative individual. That's what happens when a country becomes so familiar with the gospel that it stops really being the gospel. It stops being relevant. It stops being powerful. We know all the God words, the Jesus words, all the church words. We know the language, but our hearts are far away from him as a people. And again, I'm talking about that consensus attitude of the nation. And it happens when we get that over-familiarity. Things of God become boring and humdrum instead of fresh and new and powerful. Maybe God will breathe new life into our country, into his people. We are asking him by his grace, of course, to do that. Well, Abner gets murdered by Joab. David very diplomatically mourns Abner's death, and the people admire him for it. In fact, These tribal animosities and these jealousies, you see them at work. And you see the complication of David having so many wives and so many sons. There's so much competition between them. The family has such a powerful effect on the nation. And we need to remember that again in our time as well. It's very interesting, this thing with Michael. Remember, Michael had been given to David by Saul in marriage and then taken away in one of his jealous fits. David wants her back. <laughs> you must have asked yourself what happened to this man named Uzzah. He was only trying to protect the ark. So was God's anger against Uzzah just? According to Numbers chapter 4, the ark was to be moved only by Levites who were to carry it using carrying poles. They were never to touch the ark itself. To touch it was a capital offense under Hebrew law. God's action was directed against both David and Uzzah. David placed the ark on a cart following the Philistine example rather than God's command. And Uzzah, though he had a sincere desire to protect the ark, had to face the consequences of touching the ark. He may not have been a Levite. Now, David was upset about this because it upset his plans. But the next time he tried to bring the ark to Jerusalem, you read about it in First Chronicles 15, he was careful to handle it correctly. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Kendall Hawk Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888. 
San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.